0: Okay, so we are in Acts chapter 6. Um, the last couple of months we've been, we've been kind of riding on this little roller coaster, right? We're going through the book of Acts. We're, we're taking a, a peek at what the early church did. We're trying not to be religious about it. We're trying not to say they did this, you have to do it too. But at the same time we're asking the question, what could happen today if we simply followed the lead of someone greater than us? And Jesus is greater than us, am I right? I mean, look, you're looking at the person next to you, you're thinking, yeah, it's not even close, right? Jesus is much better than us. So what would happen if we simply followed the lead of someone great, far greater than us? And so in Acts, here's what we've seen. If, if I could um, sum up the book of Acts to this point, it would be don't give up. Because it's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. Who, who likes roller coasters? Raise your hand. Okay. I love roller coasters. Um, I can tell you stories about roller coasters. I'll just say right now that my favorite roller coasters are the ones that go upside down. They do the cork strews, the whole deal. I, I just love, also, I'm at the top of them when I'm going up through an upside down one. I'm always at the top, and I'm always thinking, if I spit here, <laughs> could I catch it at the bottom? And even if you didn't, you're hitting somebody, so it's a win-win, right? Um, I just I love roller coasters. I love those things. And that's kind of what we've been seeing in the book of Acts. It's up. It's down. It's crazy. It's their their world's going sideways. And here's what I want you to know. The only people that die typically on roller coasters are the people that jump off. As long as you're in, you're going to survive. Now, some of you don't like roller coasters. So the idea of going on a roller coaster and being strapped in and doing, like, all these loops, you're about to throw up now just thinking about it. But you're not going to die. You just keep your eyes closed and, you know, hope for the best. But you're not going to die unless somehow you unbuckled and said, I've had enough and jumped off. Like, instead, like I'm spitting at the top and you're jumping out at the top, right? (laughs) I'm surviving and you're dying. So the point here in Acts is, man, don't give up. Don't give up. Hold on. If we don't get anything else out of the book of Acts, that's a great thing to apply to our lives. Correct? Just hold on. Because all of you have lives like mine that go up and down. Like we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We could get a phone call tomorrow that could totally change not just our life tomorrow, but it could change the entire trajectory of our life. That's a big word, trajectory. I don't even know what it means. But it could change your whole life. Just one phone call. Bless you. So here's what we're going to see today. We're going to see another up and down. Um, Things are going great. They're going to turn down. They're going to come back up again. And it all happens because one man takes a stand for Jesus. And here's what I want you to get out of today. You're going to see three things that happen when we take a stand for Jesus. Number one, when I say this, you're going to be like, well, duh. Others will oppose us. When we take a stand for Jesus, others will oppose us. Listen, when you try to do something good, there are usually more than a few people that are willing to help you not succeed. Am I right about that? Have you noticed that? You don't have to believe in Jesus. You could be here and going, I don't even know why I'm here. I just came because this cute girl asked me to come, and I'm here, and you know, she said if I came to church with her, we'd go get something to eat later, and that's going to be fantastic, and you've you've at least mentioned spit already so you're kind of a cool pastor and roller coasters but I don't believe in this Jesus stuff I don't know if I like church but if you don't like any of that you know what you still know this is true when you try to do something good usually there are people that are willing to help you fail is that fair to say we're not really good as a human race at encouraging people to do good things we're really good as a human race at discouraging people from doing good things. I've got this picture. It's um it's called Demotivator. It's in there, just show it up there, throw it up there. Um I love demotivator. Have you ever heard of Despair Incorporated? I've mentioned that a couple times in sermons because I love these things. But you've seen this the ones that really um they're called um successories. And so you get these big pictures with one word and a cute little saying at the bottom, and it inspires you to do great things. Well, there's this guy that started a whole company called Despair Incorporated because he thought this is look, look kind of getting a little out of control. So we're going to be the company that just brings realism to it. And so he does the same thing, gets these pictures and puts a word up. So this one is this little kid getting tackled by another kid in football, and it says success. Some people dream of success while other people live to crush those dreams. And that's the truth that's what Stephen's going to find out here in Acts. He's dreaming of success. He's trying to do good things, and there are people who live to do nothing but crush your dreams. Acts chapter 6 verse 8 says this, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia these men began to argue with Stephen but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke every success story has somewhere in it I had a dream and someone tried to stop me um just jot down first Peter 4 12 this is such a critical verse here's what it says paraphrasing don't be so surprised at the trial you're experiencing like, have you noticed that? Have you noticed how surprised we get by, by trials? Like, oh, something bad happened. What, where'd that come from? Um, humanity? Hearts? People that are jealous? He, Peter says, don't be so surprised. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to like it, right? I mean, none of you like trials, do you? Just looking around, if you're, if you're like, oh, I love them. Love trials. We're going to pray for you. <laughs> you don't have to like them. Just don't be surprised by them. We're not signing up for them. Like if we passed a clipboard around and said, you know, we're going to get some trials out this week. Just sign up and we'll give you a trial. We're not asking you to do that. We're just saying, don't be surprised by them. 1 Peter 4:12. He says, don't be surprised. Basically, let the, let the trials, let them be a sign that says you're going the right way. So Stephen's opposition came from religious people. First they tried to, to reason with him. That's what it says in, in verses 9 and 10. It says that they started to argue with him. Basically, what that means is debate. And some of you are probably on debate teams, and I'm not. I'm not good at that stuff. But debating is when you got like everybody has a logical point. You kind of go back and forth, and whoever is a little bit stronger at debating typically wins. And that's the first thing that they tried to do. So religious people tried to debate with Stephen about I'm right, you're not, and he's going back and forth. And it says that they could not stand up to the wisdom that we, he spoke with. So then they tried a whole different tactic. Verses 12 through 14, they just made stuff up. You ever talk to somebody like that? You're pretty sure you won the argument, and they just make something up. You're like, I don't even know what to do with that. They, They just made a whole deal up. They had false witnesses. They went through the whole proceeding. They just made stuff up about Stephen. And here's what I want us to see about Stephen. Opposition revealed who he really was. It's not the good times that reveal your character. We wish it was. It's the bad times. That's who we start to see. That's when we start to see who we really are. The opposition revealed who Stephen was. Last week we talked about Stephen. He got selected to be a leader because um, Acts 6-3 said that they were looking for people that were full of the spirit and wisdom. And this week we're looking at him being opposed and we find out that he actually was not faking it he really was a man full of faith and wisdom it says in verse 8 that he had grace and power it says in verse 10 he was full of wisdom and it says in verse 15 this blows me away he still radiated Jesus after the false attacks let me ask you this question if somebody attacks you and starts spreading lies about you how do you look Okay, how does your best friend look? You don't want to answer about you, right? But you'll answer about your best friend. How does your best friend look? If they start hearing that somebody's saying things about them that's not true, do they look like Stephen did? Literally says in verse 15, they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is after he's been falsely accused in front of the people that have the power. I don't watch a lot of C-SPAN. Does anybody here get into C-SPAN? But go home and watch it one day. Watch them bring people in front of Congress or in front of, like, a designated board of people and have them sit in the table all by themselves and have them just be asked question after question after question for two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight hours. And then ask yourself this question. At the end of the day, does their face shine like an angel? No. Their face looks like they just sucked on prunes all day long and then got punched in the face. Stephen gets falsely accused, and he still, at the end of all that, looks like the faces, looks like an angel. Listen, opposition will come. Know it's coming. Prepare for it. Have your character ready now so that you'll be ready to face it then. Do the work now. It will come. When we take a stand for Jesus, others will oppose us. Number two, when we take a stand for Jesus, God's story becomes more important than our safety This is when I tell you that we're going to read the entire chapter 7. And you go, what? I'm just kidding. We're not really going to. But here's what happens. Okay, let me just summarize the whole chapter. The high priest in verse 1 says this, are these charges true? And what follows after that question is like this history lesson of God's redemptive story from Abraham all the way through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Kind of like um, Sunday school cliff notes. Well, here's what's happened. Like you said, you said it's true. Yeah, because it started with Abraham and, and Jesus. The temptation is to answer that question a little bit differently. You're on trial. You get accused falsely. And then the person in charge says, hey, is this stuff true? And if you're like me, maybe you're not. Maybe you're a little more like Jesus than I am. I'm probably defending myself at that point. I'm taking my time. On, like, they finally give him a platform. Is this true? Step up. State your case. And his case was, let's talk about God and his story. Let's talk about his plan of redemption. And let's talk about Jesus. He did not talk about himself. He didn't say, well, now, wait a second. They're saying I did this stuff. And I'm telling tell you right now, I didn't do that stuff. And if you keep spreading this, I'm going to sue you for everything you've got. Slander. I'm not playing that game. That's not who I am. That's not what he did. He took the opportunity when he could have defended himself and he started talking about the redemptive story of God. We can take a stand for Jesus and when we do, God's story becomes more important than our safety. Listen, in case you don't know this, we were not called to a safe life. Following Jesus is about being spent, not about being safe. It is my life For his glory. Following Jesus is about about being spent, not about being safe. It is my life for his glory. Philippians 2.17, Paul actually wrote this. He said, you know what? Even if my life is poured out like a drink offering, which that's a really weird phrase, isn't it? Poured out like a drink offering. Basically, it means this. If my life is spent by God on your behalf, he said, I'm okay with that. He actually said, I rejoice. He's not just okay with it. He's rejoicing in it. God often puts us in impossible situations so that he can do impossible things through us. John 12, 24. Any of you ever um, ask God what his will is for your life? God, just tell me. I mean, write it in the sky. Like, grab the pilot of that airplane and make him, like, write the letters in the sky, right? What is your will for my life? I got it for you. Just John 12, 24. Just jot it down. I'm going to read it to you. John 12, 24. This is the will of God for your life. And you're going to hate it. Everybody say hate. You're going to hate this. John 12, 24. This is the will of God for your life and for my life. It says this. Unless, the, unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's what Stephen found out. Stephen found out that if he played it safe and defended himself it kind of stopped there but if he didn't if he revealed the story of God through Jesus instead of being safe it might cost him his life which it did if you read to the end of the chapter but it changed the church forever and here's why because at the end of chapter 7 it talks about him getting stoned just not recreationally like, like really with rocks stoned you're like, dude, I want to go to that class. Sign me up, man. I'm following Jesus, right? Um, not like with real rocks, like they stoned the dude. So follow this, okay? When we take a stand for Jesus, others will oppose us. Don't be surprised. It will happen. And not only will that happen, but God's story will become far more important to us than our own safety. And so Stephen's sharing about Jesus, he's talking about God, he actually at the end of his little cliff note speech points his finger at these guys and says, not only did he die, but you killed him. And not surprisingly, it says that they started gnashing their teeth, gnashing their teeth. <sighs> Ripping their clothes and like clawing, they just sort of like fighting each other to get to him first and they dragged him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the Bible says this at the end of chapter 7, and the people that were stoning him, before they could really get their stone on, they had to take their coats off and their robes off because he had a lot of clothes on in that day, and they had to like, get undressed. And it says that it dropped all those clothes and all those robes at the feet of a young man named, anybody know? Saul. Which means absolutely nothing to us unless you know the fact that later on that same young man named Saul had his name changed to Paul, who then wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who did missionary journeys, not once, not twice, but three times, all around the, the world at that time, and changed the face of the church and Christianity forever. All because one man, just one man said, you know what, I'm willing to take a stand for Jesus. I'm willing for his story to be more important than my safety. Are we there i like my safety i'd like to get some really good gifts for for christmas i'd like a comfy pillow even jesus didn't have that i got one of those pillows that like forms around my head you wake up in the middle of the night and it freaks you out a little bit because it's like whoa what is that i'm in a marshmallow and i can't get out right jesus said i don't have i don't have anywhere to lay my head down he's not called us to be safe he's called us to be spent and if we're willing to be spent great things happen when god's story becomes more important than our own safety now if we ended it right there probably not a good sell right a little altar call hey who wants to come serve jesus you'll get killed like i'm into the stone part right but not if it's real rocks but that's not the end of the story here's number three Most of, before I give it to you, let me just say this, most of us, here's the deal, we sign up for things that sound great, because really, the bottom line is, deep in your heart, you know that you were made for more than what you're doing, is that fair to say? I do too, that's why we struggle so much, we get a little bit like, ah, God, there's got to be more to it than this, because we were made to spend our lives on something great, and what it is, is his glory, and so when we're not doing that, we're like, I, I don't know. So we, we hear about, hey, here's a great opportunity, mission trip to India, or, hey, going to, to being in line and, and going, oh, God, I think you want me to do this, and I'm not sure, I'm not, but I'm going to, I just can't get away from it. We know that we're made for more than this, and so we're just like, at some point we sign up, let me try it, and then we realize, wait a second, that life is more than just collecting stuff here at some point, we realize that we might actually have to suffer, and that's when we take a step back. Is that fair to say? I'm all in. Oh, I didn't know about that part. That's kind of our life, and then we start to feel dissatisfied here, and so somebody talks, a missionary comes in and says, I was, just last week, I was, you know, in Papua New Guinea, and and I almost got killed because I was sharing Jesus, and somebody shot me with a blow dart thing thingamajig and like i saw it go in the tree behind me and and like the you know the missionaries kind of like, go oh well it's kind of freaky but we're sitting here in america we're so bored we're like i'm going to Papua new guinea and so we board a plane and we get off the plane and first time the blow dart goes back on the plane going back to america right because it sounds really good because we crave our lives to matter until we realize we just stepped into the firing zone And we're like, wait a second. There's a cost to this. There is a cost to this. But here's the payoff, number three. When we stand for Jesus, Jesus stands for us. That's the big idea for today. I want you to take that with you. I don't want you to forget it. When we stand for Jesus, Jesus stands for us. I love the end of Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 54 when they heard this they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him but stephen full of the holy spirit looked up to heaven and saw the glory of god and jesus standing at the right hand of god jesus standing at the right hand of god look he said i see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of god now listen this is getting a little religious background here okay If you read the Bible much, you'll see a phrase, it goes like this, sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus sitting at, the the one who sits at the right hand of God is praying for you and making intercession for you. So I don't want to get into what all that means, it's good stuff, but just for right now, understand this, most of the time, all the time, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. And so here's Stephen, he goes, wait a second, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And everybody's going kind of like, what? Let me ask you a question. Let's just break that down for a second. First, he saw Jesus. Why did he see Jesus? It's not rocket science, because he was looking for Jesus. I was at. Um, a wedding reception one time. It was not mine. I was helping serve at a wedding reception, and I was helping Wendy and her mom, and so we're back in the back, and um, it had been a long day. I was tired, and I just walked in the kitchen, and I saw this lady on the phone, and and I was, man, I was like, she's beautiful. I mean, she, her hair, because it was Wendy, you know, and I, her hair was beautiful, and like, she was, just, she was just beautiful. I won't go any further than that, and I just thought, God, it's been a long day, and there's my wife, and I, I literally, I walked over, and I it's one thing to hug somebody, but when you hug them from behind, it's kind of intimate. Is that fair to say? So, I'm like, I'm right here and I realized it wasn't Wendy. I mean, thank goodness I realized it before I like kissed her on the neck and was like, "Baby, how's it going?" You know? What I mean, that would have freaked that lady out. I would have a prison ministry right now. <laughs> I just wasn't observing, right? You ever do that? You just, we're just not really all there. We're just not really focused. We think it's something. We're not quite sure. Hebrews twelve two says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Be so close to him that he fills your vision. Are your eyes fixed on Jesus? I mean, let's at least ask that question, right? He saw the Son of Man. He saw Jesus. Do you at least see Jesus? Do I see Jesus? I mean, are we at least looking for him? Are we think we see him? But here's the second part. He saw Jesus standing. And the question is, why? What would make Jesus stand up? At the worst moment of Stephen's life. Do you think he needed to get a better view? It's like like being in a Panthers game. Like, God, just dude, sit down, man. It's third and fifteen, and you know the Falcons are gonna convert it, so just sit down. Great, you're not sitting down, so you have to stand up to get a better view. I mean, does Jesus need a better view? What do you think? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure you can see okay. Well, what made Jesus stand up? You gotta, I don't know that this is true, okay, I'll find out when I get to heaven, but let me just throw this little theory out there. Is it possible that at the worst moment of Stephen's life, because he was willing to take a stand for Jesus, Jesus just simply stood up and went, is it possible that when we step out and are willing to take a stand for Jesus, that there's something about us risking our safety and stepping out for his glory that actually could cause Jesus to give us a standing ovation? Is it possible that we could do something so great for his glory and for his kingdom that he would actually stand up because it gets his attention? Now, I want to call you to that today. I want to challenge you. To do something so great for God that it would actually cause him to stand up in support of you. So when I mention that, here's what goes through your mind. You're thinking of great things you can do for God. Am I right? I mean, that's how I am. Okay, I got to get busy on that book. I got to get busy on this. I got to get busy on that. We got to get in that building so we can have 500 people packed in there. We start thinking of big stuff we can do for God. And you know what we forget? We forget that this man that Jesus just stood up to clap for, this man that just got a standing ovation from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, from the Son of Man, do you know what he was doing just five verses or so before this? One chapter before this? The dude was waiting tables. Because in Acts chapter 6, they said, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. We talked about this last week. Some of us are not getting our bread. We're not getting our food on time. And they said, you know what? Find seven men full of wisdom, full of the spirit, and get them to wait the tables. Anybody a server in, in the house, in a restaurant? You ever served in a restaurant? Real glamorous, isn't it? Nope. Not at all. We, we were at Yak and Valley the other night. We didn't get to have Mariana because we wanted to. But they work, especially when messy people like me eat. They work hard. It's hard work to wait tables. You have to ask God to give you a soft heart, to have a servant's heart. That's the man who now a chapter later is receiving a standing ovation from Jesus Christ, who Jesus is standing up to see what's going on. I want you to be that person. But you don't become that person because you do one great thing. You become that person because you do all the things all the way, all the time. Stephen He was never blessed to be a part of one of my messages and hear me say the phrase, the other six. But read this and tell me that this man in Acts did not understand what it means to live for Jesus the other six days of the week. He waited tables. He cleaned messes. He prayed for the sick. He walked with Jesus daily, regularly. And that is what laid the foundation that kept him strong when other people opposed him for telling God's story. I'm telling you, it will be the same for you and for me. So here's what I want you to do this week. This week, I want you to stand for Jesus. I just want you to stand for Jesus in the big things. I want you to stand for Jesus in the small things. I want you to stand for Jesus tonight when you want to watch the Amazing Race finale and somebody walks in and changes the channel and you forgot to hit record. Not that that ever happens in my house. I'm making this up as I go along. Satellite goes out. It's when you call Nehemiah. Switch me to cable. Now! I, I just, in the small things that get under your skin, walk with Jesus. And Jesus will stand for you. When he does, just like it changed the New Testament, just like it changed the early church, just like it changed... All the people that Saul who became Paul came in contact with, it'll change all the things in your life too. I can guarantee you when you stand for Jesus in the small things, it will change everything, even the hearts of those who oppose you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning, God, just as we think about this truth in Scripture, when I think about Stephen taking a stand for you, And picturing what it must have been like for him to look up and see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. To know that something that he did on earth was so captivating that even Jesus stood. Lord, I want to be that. I want to do something so great for your kingdom, God, that it would get your attention like that. We want to be a church, God, of people who every day of the week, we, we don't play it safe, God. We, we risk. We push our chips to the middle of the table. We say we are all in with God. We are all in. Use us, God. Spend us. I don't want to be safe. I want to be spent my life for your glory. And we thank you, God, that when we do that, We never have to fear the opposition because as big as the crowd might be, as loud as they might be, as angry as they might be, there will be one who stands head and shoulders above that crowd, and his name is Jesus, and he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and you are my king. You are my Lord, and I can trust you with my life in your name, Jesus. Amen.